0: Chapter 16 Thomas Leah woke in the middle of the night to find a small, unhappy child by the side of her bed. She blinked in the dim light, unable to see much without her glasses. Kate must have a son, she thought. I had a bad dream, said the boy in a thick limerick accent. He wiped his nose on the sleeve of his nightgown. His hair was fair, or possibly reddish. It was hard to see in the dim light, and his front teeth were missing. Leah, who wasn't used to children, guessed that he might have been about six years old. He had a sweet, heart-shaped face, and his teeth were chattering. Briefly, she considered knocking on the wall, but decided that this wasn't exactly an emergency. What's your name? Thomas he said. I'm cold. Leah made room in the bed and the boy climbed in beside her. He smelt like an unwashed sheep and his feet were icy. She put an arm around his skinny little body. There was no substance to him at all. Hush, she said, stroking his hair. It was only a dream. Shall I tell you a story? It's the one that my father used to tell me when I couldn't sleep. The boy snuggled closer. Once upon a time, she began, there were three little badgers. There was one girl badger and two boy badgers, and they lived in Badger Hollow. They had three leafy beds, and their blankets were made of hay. The boy's breathing slowed, and Leah felt her own eyes become heavy with sleep. When Leah woke, the boy was gone. She thought for a moment that she had dreamt him. But there was a shallow indentation on the pillow beside her own. It smelt of lanolin. The room, which faced east, was flooded with morning light. Leah climbed out of bed, pulling the candlewick bedspread over her shoulders, and stumbled to the window. The wide fields swept down from the house in variegated shades of green, and a herd of brown and white cattle stood in the mud beneath the trees. Somewhere in the distance a cockerel crowed to greet the dawn. She rubbed her eyes, and when she opened them again, the trees were dead and the cows were gone. The fields were blanketed once again in uniform and toxic green. Leah groped for her glasses. She turned to see the glyph sitting in the chair by the side of the fire. It was suitably dressed for a country house visit in a digital version of Ronan's hand-knit iron jumper. But you don't even feel the cold, said Leah indignantly, wishing that she'd had the wit to pack a similar garment. I'm programmed to look the part, said the glyph, with dignity crossing its ankles. It was wearing a pair of solid-looking brogues. I apologise for my absence last night. I needed to run diagnostics. Fair enough, said Leah. You missed me crashing the car, but apart from that everything is fine. We're going back to Dublin today, just as soon as the car is sorted. The glyph indicated dissent. In the meantime, I have a request for a meeting with Ethan Blake. Are you available? Will he be able to see me? Yes, said the glyph, with your permission. Let me get some clothes on first. Leah gathered her belongings and hesitated. Would you mind walking with me to the bathroom and waiting outside the door? As she splashed cold water on her face, She wondered what a digital construct would do in the presence of a ghost. Like the glyph, the ghost was not real in any conventional sense, but yet seemed able to exert an influence on the world. But the glyph is not a predator, she thought, and then it occurred to her that the glyph might well be a predator, if in a subtler and less obvious way. Ten minutes later she was back in the bedroom brushed and combed, with the room styled to hotel standard as far as the furnishings would allow. She sat expectantly at the desk with her notebook in front of her. She hadn't actually written in it yet, but nobody needed to know that. So, what happens next? First, you need to formally accept Ethan Blake's meeting request, said the glyph, assuming position in the second chair. Then, I will sync software which may take a few moments. Permission granted? Leah was unsure of the terminology. Sinking software announced the glyph in an oddly digital voice. It sat very still, with the expression of an airline passenger awaiting takeoff. At first, nothing happened. Then Leah noticed that the cable pattern on its iron jumper was pixelating. The glyph was going low res. Its features disintegrated into a bitmap that was now only vaguely human. Leah gaped. The glyph had looked so real. On some level she had almost forgotten that it wasn't. Then, and to her utter astonishment, the pixels reassembled themselves in the form of Ethan Blake. Bloody hell, said Leah, dropping her pen. I wasn't expecting that. Ethan Blake laughed. He was wearing a t-shirt and shorts, his charisma dialed to casual. I wasn't sure if that was going to work. You can see me okay? Yes, said Leah, like you're in the room. Can you move around? Ethan Blake stood, stretched and walked across the bedroom. Like the glyph, he seemed to be able to negotiate objects. He returned to the chair. So how are you getting on? "'I crushed your car,' Leah confessed. "'Actually, I knew about that,' said Ethan Blake. "'I'm glad that you weren't hurt. "'I spoke to John Reardon this morning, "'and he says that the damage is minimal. "'He'll have it back on the road by noon.' "'That's a relief,' said Leah, "'grasping the bull by the horns. "'Because I'm going back to Dublin this afternoon.' This isn't going to work. I don't see how you can upgrade it to a suitable standard without damaging the fabric of the house. You need an architect and an engineer, not an interior designer. There's nothing that I can do until that's resolved. She had no intention of admitting that she'd been scared by a ghost. Ethan Blake gave her the look that generally persuaded people to do whatever he wanted them to do. Leah resisted. His unbranded t-shirt fitted his upper body in a way that spoke of tailoring and his Japanese black hair was cut short in a military crop with enough grey at the temples to show that the colour was natural. He sat back in the uncomfortable chair and flexed his pectorals. Pure vanity, Leah thought. But even in holographic projection it was like being in the presence of a film star. He glowed. She wondered what cinematic role he was currently inhabiting. War-damaged soldier, possibly, the veteran of conflict in quest of a deeper meaning, broken but yet imbued with a quiet heroism. In true Hollywood tradition she could see the formula, but yet she was not immune to it. That's why they call it magnetism, she told herself. It would be the easiest thing in the world to submit to this man, who had the power to rectify so much of what was wrong in her life. But Leah, having grown up in the fashion industry, had a deep distrust of people who used their appearance in order to get what they wanted. She stood up and went to the window. Takes one to know one, she thought. Ethan Blake's eyes followed her, suddenly reminding her of eagle-eyed action man. It was a retro toy that Ronan had received in childhood, a man doll with a switch at the back of his head so that you could move his eyes from left to right and its penetrating plastic eyes were the same blue as Ethan Blake's. Leah stifled a giggle and when she turned back to him, the glamour was broken. I may not have been entirely straight with you, said Ethan Blake. Leah waited. She had not been entirely straight with him either. I believe that we have a shared history with this house, Ethan Blake continued. In the early days of the 20th century, my great-great-grandmother and yours both lived at Carmoyle. Does the name Margaret Shine mean anything to you? Leah folded her arms and looked down on the holographic projection in disgust. Her name was Peggy. Peggy Shine, and yes, I do know who she was and I do know that she lived here and that your whatever grandmother threw her out pregnant, without a character and that she only survived because she was resilient and inventive and tough she even managed to keep her baby no thanks to Mrs Blake Ethan Blake bowed his head understood Vivian Blake was strict, even for her time but, as I understand it Miss Shine's firstborn was your forebear. Do you have any curiosity as to who his father might have been? None at all, said Leah, resolute. His father was the dentist who brought him up and never treated him any differently from all his other kids. Why would I have any interest in the arsehole who abandoned him? But, part of her mind held on to the notion that she and Ronan might be the distant cousins of Ethan Blake... One day, said Ethan Blake slowly, I believe that I may induce you to change your mind. In the meantime, I would like to engage your services as an interior designer at Carmoyle. You have a talent for working with buildings in a way that goes beyond the superficial. Your brother had the same ability, possibly to an even greater extent. This was the first time that Ethan Blake had mentioned Ronan directly. Leah's mind whirred. What does he know? She wondered. And why did he use the past tense? Ronan was not dead. She was certain of it. Do you know Ronan? She demanded. He nodded. Your brother is an extraordinary designer. He interacts with buildings on a level that I can only describe as shamanic. But, if you will allow me to say so, I find that your approach is a little more grounded. This, Leah thought, was fair comment. Ronan's genius was out there. A critic for The New Yorker had once described him as the dancing woo-woo master. It made for great television and some impressive flagship projects, but Ronan wasn't particularly realistic. Leah, in contrast, was a very practical person, which was why her partnership with her brother had worked as well as it did. This is the reason that I wanted you to come and see the house in the early stage of the project, Ethan Blake continued. The building has a long history, and I have the impression that some of that history is retained in the fabric of the house. I would welcome your input on that aspect of the renovations. Despite what you say, I still feel that you're the best person for the job to the extent that I cannot imagine completing this project without you. Now, if you'll excuse me, I will say goodnight. Ethan Blake dissolved, leaving Leah flummoxed. She was certain that she had not agreed to anything. The glyph reassembled itself in the shape of her missing brother. We could do with a dose of shamanic genius here, Leah thought. But the Glyph's version of Ronan was constrained by the limits of her understanding and she had never really understood how Ronan's mind worked. Nobody did, not even Trevor, although he probably came the closest. Her phone chirruped like a baby bird that had just been given a worm. Leah checked her banking app. Soul Trader Limited had just lodged a 100,000 euro to Lawless Design. The reference was... Carmoyle Renovation Project, Stage 1 Leah replayed their conversation in her mind She was certain that she had not agreed to take the job What part of this isn't going to work had been unclear Her finger hovered over the reject transfer button One click would return the money to the sole trader account Then she remembered that her mortgage repayments were due If she kept the money, her parents would be safe in their home for another year but she would be morally obliged to work on Carmoyle. Fingers shaking, Leah pressed accept transfer and exited the banking app, reflecting on the conundrum that was Ethan Blake. By the age of 35, he had ranked on the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. And yet, Ethan Blake came from an immigrant family with no particular resources. Now she was beginning to understand how he got there. He was charming, as far as it took him, and utterly ruthless. Her phone bleeped again. There was a message from Martha. Have you seen the news? She checked her news feed. There was a suspected outbreak of moon plague in Limerick City. All roads to and from the capital were closed.